Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode number 51 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week we're just going to be talking about some Scottish national things. There are a few things which are associated really not only with Scotland but, you know, exclusively with Scotland. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. So join me as we talk a little bit about some Scottish national things. So the first thing that we're going to be talking about uh, today is bagpipes. Uh, Now this was a recent request on Facebook from Chuck Garns, uh, gave me the idea for uh, the 50th episode, Um, however I already had uh, the William Wallace thing in my mind uh, for that. So yeah, um, bagpipes, I cannot believe that I've not actually managed to, to get around to talking about these yet. Uh, so if you are a piper, uh, you'll probably want to skip a, a wee bit ahead. Uh, alternatively, you can correct me on anything which I say is wrong. Um, I've done my best to do, um, you know, sort of, a, you know, a good amount of research. But uh, yeah. Yeah, so we'll get started with the bagpipes first of all. So when you hear the sound of bagpipes, you would probably immediately think of Scotland. The pipes have been associated with Scotland for a long time. However, their history did not start here. References to bagpipes started way back as far as the 2nd century. And it was also believed that the Roman Emperor Nero was a skilled piper. The Oxford History of Music states that a sculpture of bagpipes was found or has been found on a Hittite slab in Turkey dating from around 1000 BC to make them even older. The first references, however, to bagpipes in Scotland seems to be from a French account of the Battle of Pinky, uh, nearby to me in the East Lothian town of Musselburgh, and that happened in 1547. Now, there are many different types of bagpipe, uh, however, they all have similar things in common. The major one is, of course, a bag. The bag traditionally was made from the full body of an animal, notably sheep, goats, 
cows and even dogs. The skin was then turned inside out and then stitched up to form a bag. But don't worry, most bags these days tend to be made from synthetic material such as Gore-Tex. However, there are some very slight concerns over these synthetic materials as fungal spores can gather inside these bags and they can cause lung infections. So people with synthetic bags tend to take a little bit more care of their instrument. Now the other main thing on a set of pipes is the chanter. Now this is the melody pipe. The chanter is open-ended, so basically you cannot stop noise coming from it unless you cover the bottom. Uh, so this is why when you hear bagpipe music, there's a lot of what are called grace notes and trill notes. Um, I would love to have put in some audio examples, uh, however I don't want to get a copyright strike. Um, so if you're a piper out there and you want to maybe sit down and have a wee chat with me about uh, pipes and you've got some of your own original material that you would like to kind of plug on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'll give you the contact details at the end of the episode. Uh, but basically the sound from the chanter is produced by squeezing the air from the bag. Uh, so obviously that's normally held under your arm. So you uh, fluctuate and push air out of the bag through the chanter. Um, and that activates a reed. So the, the, the bagpipes are technically a, a reeded instrument, much kind of like an oboe or a clarinet sort of thing. Uh, the only difference is, is with an oboe or clarinet, obviously you're blowing directly into the reed, whereas with a bagpipe you're blowing into the bag and then using the bag to push air through the reed uh, for the chanter. So, yeah. Uh, and then once you're squeezing the air from the bag, you then finger the notes on the chanter to play the melody. Now... Again, there are many different types of bagpipe, and I could literally have sat here for probably about three hours talking about each and every individual one of them. Uh, I'm not going to do that, so I'm just going to refer just now to the Highland bagpipes. They're the ones that you're probably more familiar with. Uh, so a Highland bagpipe chanter, uh, so on one of those you can play one full octave. Uh, so that is from low G, so you can play low G, low A, and then B, and then a C, which is actually a C sharp, um, tuned more to a C sharp. Uh, then you've got D, E, F sharp, high G, and then a high A as well. So you basically get a full octave plus one extra note. Um, yeah, now you can't really go any further than that uh, with bagpipes. Uh, each set of pipes then has a set of drones. Again, though, depending on the specific type of pipes, depends on the amount of drones that you will have, but you usually find two tenor drones and one bass drone on a set of Highland pipes. The bass drone is usually tuned to two octaves below the tonic scale of the chanter, um, so say for example, obviously we've got the, the low G and low A, so uh, if it's, say for example it would be low G minus two octaves, so it would be two octaves deeper than that. Uh, you then have one of the tenor drones would be one octave below the tonic scale, and then the second drone being tuned to about an interval of about a fifth. Now for some of you who don't understand musical terms, um, 
some of this might be lost on you. Uh, but a quick little Google search, you'll be able to, to work that out. Um, yeah, most chords uh, that you play on guitars uh, and stuff like that are usually in fifths. And as the name suggests, the drones, just like me, they just drone. They drone a constant sound over the melody. So that's, uh, I think that's probably the part that people find most annoying about bagpipes in a way. Now the last and final similarity is that you have to fill the bag with air. Uh, on Highland bagpipes and small pipes, for example, you do have something called a blowpipe, which surprisingly enough, the piper blows into at regular intervals to fill the bag back up with air. Because of course you're pushing it out with one arm, so the bag's going to become deflated, so you need to push air back into the bag. Uh, however, on Aelin pipes, now Aelin pipes are the type of pipes that you will hear all the way throughout the film Braveheart. Uh, the, the, the pipes being played in that film are not bagpipes, or sorry, are not Highland bagpipes, they are Aelin pipes. And Aelin pipes are from, are more associated, I should say, sorry, with Irish music than they are with Scottish music. Uh, but the bag is filled on Aelin pipes instead of blowing into it by the means of a bellows, which is attached to your arm, and then you use your arm to pump the air into the bag, and then use the other arm to pump the air out of the bag. Um, a kind of constant cycle, really, isn't it? Uh, but in contrast with Aelin pipes, you can play two full octaves on them, uh, which is uh, quite cool. Uh, and again, I would love to have put in some audio examples to be able to tell the difference between the two different types of, or the many different types of pipes. Uh, but again, I just didn't quite know what the script would be in terms of copyright strikes, etc. So in Scotland, the Great Highland bagpipes have been played as a martial instrument, so basically an instrument of war, since at least the 16th century, uh, referring again back to the Battle of Pinky. Uh, the playing of bagpipes was banned, of course, following the Jacobite Uprising of 1745, and on the 6th of November 1746, a Scottish regiment soldier was executed after playing his pipes. He had argued, however, that no Highland Army Regiment had ever marched without a piper. There is also a pipe song with a quite an interesting story. The pipe song is called A Flame of Wrath for Patrick McCrimmon. Uh, and that is a, quite a standard kind of pipe tune. You, you hear that quite a lot. The story features a piper from Glenelg, which is near the Isle of Skye, who set fire to the village to avenge the murder of his brother, and that would be Patrick from the title of the tune. Legend has it that the piper stood on a hill overlooking the blaze whilst playing this particular tune. Now, a fun fact for you, Glenelg, just outside, as I say, it's still on the mainland of Scotland, but it's near the Isle of Skye, but Glenelg, Scotland, is twinned with Glenelg on the moon. Now, next up on our journey through national Scottish things will be Scotland's national flower. Now, I regularly do get asked, what is the flower of Scotland? And most of the time, I would just say, well, it's a song written by the Corries. Uh, however, where England has the rose, the Netherlands has the tulip, Ireland has the clover, Wales has the daffodil, the Scots, we have the thistle. The thistle, though, arguably is a weed and not actually a flower. It's a weed that flowers, if that makes sense to you. 
In fact, I even once saw it described as an obnoxious weed. I'm pretty sure this was in a book, but I forget exactly where that was. Now, some believe that the bluebell would be a more suitable flower uh, to be the flower of Scotland. However, the thistle has is seen absolutely everywhere in Scotland. For example, even my favourite football club, Livingston Football Club, for those of you that don't know, even have a thistle on our badge. This does technically hark back to our days as uh, when we were a club known as Meadowbank Thistle. So you can tell why perhaps there's a thistle on our badge, kind of keeping that old history alive with us. But anyway, now the thistle possibly, and I'm going to say possibly here because, again, who knows whether or not this story is exactly true. uh, But this is the story in which we get told. So it possibly became our national flower around 1263, just before the Battle of Largs. Now, the men of King Haakon IV of Norway uh, took their large heavy boots off as they reached the shores off the west coast of Scotland so that they could sneak up on the unsuspecting Scots army. All was going to plan until they walked into a large bit of land covered in thistles. Now, even the hardy Viking types found the pain of standing on a thistle excruciating and the sound of their wails could be heard all across the glens, as they say. This, of course, alerted the Scots army and, well, the rest is history. If you want to find out what happens kind of after that uh, or during that particular battle, visit episode number one of this, the Scottish History Podcast, uh, to hear basically what happened next. It's kind of just before the beginning of the Scottish Wars of Independence. Now, like the bagpipes, there are many different types of thistles and they can be found almost anywhere during the summer months in Scotland. Notably, very spiky, but bloom some very beautiful purple flowers on them to bring real vibrancy to the countryside. So we've had the national instrument, the bagpipes, the national flower, the thistle, and finally we're going to move on to our national animal. Now this was requested by four-year-old Finn Triggs Miller. So this one goes out to you, that's why I kept it till last. Uh, But of course we're going to refer now to Scotland's national animal. So if you didn't already know, Scotland's national animal is the unicorn. So in my time as a tour guide I had many strange answers uh, when I used to pose the question what do you think is the national animal of Scotland? I had answers ranging anywhere from squirrel to badger to even the humble earthworm to even Nessie. Now, of course, Nessie is probably closer to the truth because, of course, with Nessie being a mythological creature, as is the unicorn, but yeah. So the biggest question from here is then why? Why is the unicorn the national animal of Scotland? Well, realistically, it is quite probably because of England. In 1100, King Henry I of England, a.k.a. the Lion of England, put a lion on his royal standard or royal flag. The lion then became the English symbol and England's national animal. For Scotland, it was sometime in that same century, so that would be the 12th century, that the ironically named William the Lionheart, or William I of Scots, who reigned between 1165 and 1214, placed a unicorn on the Scottish royal coat of arms. 
It was probably chosen because going back to ancient Babylonian times, which was approximately 3,500 BC, it is remarked that the lion and the unicorn absolutely hated each other. It was also believed by the Celts that nothing can kill, capture or tame the unicorn, not even a lion. The Celts also expressed that the unicorn symbolised unity, courage, strength and purity. So pure that another tale told says that a snake poisoned a river and the unicorn then dipped its horn into the water which purified the water again for the other animals to drink. On the royal seals, the unicorn is often seen wrapped in chains. Now, no one knows the exact reasoning behind this, but it is suggested that it is to do with the Scottish kings and that the Scottish kings were the only ones who could tame the unicorn. Uh, So basically, the chains represent the Scottish king's authority or hold over the unicorn in a way. The big question from there is where can you see a unicorn in Scotland? There are many dotted all over the country, uh, and I did once think that I saw a real one, but it just turned out that a very small child had stuck an ice cream cone onto a horse's face. But just a few places where you can see a unicorn in person is on the... So first of all, in the gatepost at Holyrood Palace in Edinburgh, and also just outside St Margaret's Chapel in Edinburgh Castle. There's also one on top of the old Market Cross just outside St Giles Cathedral on the Royal Mile. So that's, of course, if you're in Edinburgh. You may also find one engraved on the beautiful Courtyard Fountain, which is inside Linlithgow Palace, also known as the birthplace of Mary, Queen of Scots, of course. Now, if you go to Dundee, uh, outside of the Victoria and Albert Museum, you will see the HMS Unicorn, one of the six oldest ships in the world, and that has the unicorn as its figurehead. So right at the end of the ship, right at the front, big unicorn face right there. But you will also find a unicorn on top of the many market crosses in all of Scotland's major cities and market towns. For example, Dunfermline, Jedburgh, Melrose, Curis, Falkland, Crail, Cooper, Preston, Pans and of course Inverness. Now I would list every single one of them but there are 108 market crosses in Scotland. So when you finally get to come here, see if you can find them all, send me a picture of all of them. So there we go, folks. That's going to be it for another week. Episode number 51, smashing. Thank you so very much to all of you for everything. Uh, Every time that I release a new episode, it it genuinely makes me so, so happy to be able to do this for all of you. Uh, So if you want to keep in touch, uh, head over to the website. That's www.scotthistorypod.com. You can catch up with me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for the Scottish History Podcast or basically it's either forward slash or at Scott History Pod. If you are, again, as I mentioned earlier on, a piper or something and you want to maybe sit down with me and have a, have a wee chat or if you've got some original pipe music um, and you play different types of pipes, alternatively we can sort of mishmash them together, send me a wee email on scotthistorypod at gmail.com and if for any reason you would like to support the podcast in any way you can do so via Patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash scotthistorypod and there you can donate anything between £1 and £3 per month and that basically just helps for the running costs for the podcast. 
So once again, folks, episode 51, done and dusted. Cannot wait to speak to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.